Hello, and welcome to The Link Podcast, the industry's link to learn, innovate, news, and knowledge in global supply chain intelligence, hosted by Food Logistics and Supply and Demand Chain Executive. We cover everything from transportation and warehousing trends and new technologies to food safety and sustainability impacting today's supply chains. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on the Spotify, Apple, or Google podcast apps. My name is Brielle Jekyll, the associate editor here, and this week we're discussing current trends in grocery with Phil Lempert, who is known as a supermarket guru and is an established author in the field. So let's link into that conversation now. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining today's episode. We are talking all about supermarket and grocery trends with Phil Lempert, who is the supermarket guru and food industry analyst. I hope I said your name correctly. Yes, you did. Oh, great. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on right now. I think it's a really important time for the grocery world. There's a lot of changes happening. Um, And obviously, with COVID, things are constantly you know, it's a new industry every day, I feel like. Um, so yeah, I just am excited to get into this. Well, you're right. Um, and and certainly there's three parts to really what we're looking about as it changes our food supply, whether it be restaurants, whether it be supermarkets, um, wherever we buy food. Number one, Yes, we can say the pandemic, and we'll talk about that. Number two is our transportation problem, uh, which is huge and growing by the day. And number three, actually climate change. So it's those three areas that are really impacting not only the supply of food, but the prices of food. Mm -hmm. What other trends are you seeing in the, the grocery industry right now? Panic. Uh, I don't know. I don't think panic is a trend. But if you take a look at at supermarket retailers across the country, um, what they're reporting is that they're not getting orders. Um, You know, we right now have Nabisco's factories, four out of five factories on strike. Um, So, you know, some of our favorite crackers like Ritz crackers and so on um, aren't being produced. Um, We've got problems with the Northwest with the fires. Um, Then in California here, we've got a problem with the drought. Um, So all that's affecting the raw material. So if we look at the entire supply chain itself, it is broken. There's no question about it. And now's the time that we have to fix it. Because if we don't fix it now, it's going to be too late. You know, if you look at the UN's uh, climate uh, report that came out just about two weeks ago, it is a death knell for us. It is saying we're in a red zone unless we reduce climate impact now. Um, you know, we're, we're really not going to have a planet to live on, yet alone grow food. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I've been seeing so many things like that. I mean, every day it's a new shortage for a different reason. You know, we think of it as COVID shutting down ports and things like that. But now we have, like I was speaking to a server the other day and they had no uh, oysters from the West Coast because of the fires. So it's really just all these different terrible things happening um, in terms of natural disasters and climate that it's, it's creating this perfect storm, I would say. It is. And, and even if you look at, you know, what's happened in California uh, that grows a lot of the salmon eggs, um, the water is too hot. So what they've had to do, if you can imagine this, is they've had to take the eggs out of the waterbeds and ship them by truck 
to cooler locations so that we don't have a shortage of salmon. So when we really look at the food industry, they're being very innovative, no question about it, uh, by need. And the result is for you and I as a consumer, when we go into a supermarket or a restaurant, we're going to see higher prices. We're going to see shortages like we've never seen before. But this time around, I don't think we're going to panic. You know, when the pandemic started and for the first time in our lives, we walked into a supermarket and saw empty shelves, we panicked. We bought whatever there was. I mean, I know people who bought cans of food that they haven't used, that they will never use, but that was on the shelves. They were concerned that they weren't going to be able to feed their family. So we're not going to do that again. Uh, but what we're going to do is, is really be understanding of what's going on and demand answers. What the industry has to do is make substantial investments in better factories, more factories. Um, and I'll give you an example. One of, one of the stories that we kept on hearing during the early stages of the pandemic had to do with poultry workers. Well, the poultry workers were making about $7.50 an hour. Uh, we were all shocked to hear that. They have very closed working conditions. Uh, it's much like uh, the jungle that Upton Sinclair wrote in the early 1900s. The factories still look like that. We've got to reimagine what meat processing facilities look like. And it's not having a million square foot factory uh, with people shoulder to shoulder. It's about robotics and having smaller factories that are dotted throughout the country. So we're less reliant on transportation. I absolutely agree with that. And I also think that, you know, just packing in these animals into small, small spaces and these workers into small spaces, it's just not a reliable way of doing these things. And, you know, it, it's talked about a lot and consumers are looking for more sustainable ways of, of grocery shopping. But I feel like we're not really truly seeing it all the way through. Do you think that there will be a time where we will actually see this going through the cold chain where we're seeing true sustainability and modern ways of doing this? Yes, absolutely. Because we as consumers are demanding it. We're not going to let a lot of these uh, companies get away with the things that they've gotten away with that really were exposed during the early days of the pandemic. When you think back and we saw dairy farmers in Wisconsin dumping milk because there was no trucks or farms in California plowing under because there were no workers there. You know, that that's not sustainable, to your point. It's not good business. Um, it, it's just all of above. And it breaks, you know, the consumer's heart when yeah. they hear about that and they see that. So we're demanding from these companies more social responsibility than ever before. And they're starting to respond to it. What tr what technology trends are you seeing in you know agriculture and, and and meat processing and then also the grocery stores? So let's start on the farm. On the farm, there's a lot more technology there than people understand. So if I'm a farmer and I have ten thousand acres uh, by satellite. I can find a square inch of land that needs more water or more nutrients. Um, most of the tractors are not run by human beings anymore. They're all autonomous and they have been. I'm, I'm talking about huge combines and, and, and so on. So on the farm, 
technology is great. Where it falls apart is 5G broadband. I talk okay. to farmers every week and bottom line is they're running their farm um, on their on their cell phone um, and they've got issues because we don't have broadband. So part of President Biden's new bill is bringing broadband to rural areas. And, you know, the average consumer, when they hear that, they don't understand why. And, and the reason has to do with farming. They need great internet access to be able to run their farms. Right. So that's number one. At the retail standpoint, what we discovered is more people want to buy online uh, during the pandemic. They got used to it. Uh, but a lot of the websites from a lot of the retailers don't have very good information. If yep. I go on and I want to buy produce and I click on a produce item, there's no nutritional information. There might be a suggestion if I want strawberries, you know, to buy whipped cream with my strawberries. But the retailers are now upping their game as it relates to actually providing accurate information. Um, and that's more of a hurdle than you might think, uh, because a lot of that information, frankly, is erroneous or doesn't exist through the current pipelines. So that's got to be updated. And what I see as the future of the supermarket is probably a little different than what most people think. Uh, for me, um, the average supermarket today is 40,000 square foot. I see cutting it in half. The back half of the store is fully robotic, fully automated, and you know robots picking grocery items. And when I talk about grocery items, I'm talking about those unemotional jars and cans and boxes. When you go shopping, you have a shopping list of about 20 to 24 items. In order to acquire those items, you have to walk past 40,000 products. It is not efficient at all. Wow. So what I see happening is I'm going to go to my favorite store's website. I'm going to make an appointment the same way I make a restaurant reservation for a time to shop. That's going to allow them social distancing. It's going to allow them you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, data to improve that customer experience. And I'm going to then be directed online to buy those grocery items. You know, the Heinz ketchups, the, the Kleenex, the, the products that are brand names or store brands that I buy all the time. That's in the back room. So that order is going to go to the robots that's going to assemble it. And let's say I've said I want to go shopping Thursday at 6 p.m. I show up Thursday at 6 p.m. The front half of the store is all the fresh foods, all the foods that I want to pick myself. If we look at um, online okay. delivery, the complaints are number one about produce and number two about meat. People are not satisfied with the people who are picking it. So I want to pick those. I want to talk to Betty the baker, uh, Bob the butcher, um, all, all of those. So I'm going to pick all my fresh foods myself. And then on the way out, I'm going to take that package that the robots have picked for me of all those groceries. What that does is, number one, it allows the store to be more efficient. Number two, it allows the consumer to have a better shopping experience. We have social distancing. And, and frankly, um, we don't have the kind of overhead cost to run a supermarket by having those 40,000 products out there every day and some of them never get bought. Right. 
that's interesting that you mentioned this because I actually just had an experience like this the other day where I was using an online grocery retailer and um, it was a third party and I wanted the rotisserie chicken to have for dinner, you know, the fresh, freshly yeah. made rotisserie yeah. chicken. And it went from $7 to almost $30 because the shopper got a giant size of it instead of the size, the regular size that I picked. And so we were left with this extra chicken, this giant bill for what was supposed to be a small grocery order. And yeah. it's just like, I don't know how, yeah, like in hindsight, I was like, I didn't know how to fix that because I selected the size I wanted, but you know, I didn't, I'm not there in person. And you're bringing up a really good point because what we've discovered during the pandemic and people have gone to online shopping, all of a sudden it's mandatory to tip. They have a service charge on it. You can't use your frequent shopper card. You can't use coupons. You don't get in-store specials. So a lot of people, when they got their credit card bills come May, June, they went, whoa, I'm spending 30 to 40% more on my groceries than I did before, yet alone the replacements that you're talking about, you know, what what these shoppers are doing from the third party services, they're shopping two or three customers at a time. If you go in a store, you'll see them with two or three shopping carts that they're bringing through. And the only way that they make money is doing it as quickly as they can. It's not necessarily focused on, you know, getting you the best product that you want. It's picking it, getting it out, getting it delivered to you. And a lot of them actually work in teams where there's one person that delivers and one person that picks the groceries in the store so that they can rotate. And if you go online, there's a lot based on the city uh, that you're in. There's a lot of comments on you know, Facebook and so on about some of these third party resellers, if you would, and how disgruntled the employees are. So yeah. you look at these companies that have hundreds of thousands of employees and nobody wants to work there and they're not making any money. Yeah, it's really an interesting time for sure. Can I, I want to switch gears a little bit and go to the back end. Um, how have you seen the logistic and distribution side of the grocery world change? It's beginning to change. Um, It hasn't changed yet. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, As I mentioned before, we don't have enough truck drivers. Um, During the pandemic, beginning age of the pandemic, shipping containers got stuck around the world uh, Mm -hmm. as ports closed. And some of them are still closed. And some of these containers still have food in them that's been rotting for a year and a half. So we've got a huge problem as it relates to distribution. Uh, Cisco, for example, one of the biggest food service distributors, about two weeks ago started calling their restaurants and saying, you know, we're not going to be able to fulfill your order. We don't know when we're going to be able to deliver it. Uh, Supermarkets um, are getting about 50% of what they want, uh, what they order. So the big bottleneck in the supply chain is really transportation right now. Um, The good news is that uh, we just did a report the other day about um, the fact that now we're recruiting a lot more female truck drivers. And it's interesting for a bunch of reasons. Number one is the stats prove and show that the female truck drivers who go through the training and and everything else um, are safer. 
Um, if they do have an accident, it is a much more minor accident and they're just better drivers. Um, so now there's this whole recruitment going on uh, to get more female truck drivers, especially, you know, if your kids are grown and, you know, you want a good job and truck drivers can make a lot of money. Uh, keep in mind that the rules changed a couple of years ago where truck drivers used to, um, and I don't mean to be disparaging, but take amphetamines and drive 20 hours a day because right. they get paid by the haul. They don't get paid by the hour. Mm -hmm. So the longer they can drive, the faster that they can drive, the more money they make. Well, that's gone. And when that happened, a lot of um, aging truck drivers retired. It's estimated by the year 2023, we're going to be short of about 100,000 truck drivers in this nation. So we've got to be looking at different types of distribution. As I mentioned, not one big poultry plant that ships to the entire country, but maybe 20 or 30 smaller plants that can rely on more local transportation. We have to look at autonomous vehicles. We have to really think and rethink how we get our foods to market. And because of the pandemic in major cities, we're seeing a lot of empty office buildings. So what we're starting to see is indoor farming move to that office space. So wow. when you think about New York City, New York, New Jersey, Long Island, you know, a big metropolis um, that's going to have a lot of empty office space. If I can put some indoor farms in that office space, the lights are on 24 hours a day, which means the produce grows three times faster. It's a controlled environment, so I don't have to worry about food safety. Um, I don't have to worry about bugs and, and the environment and climate change. Um, and when you think about when you buy that bag of lettuce for $2.99 in the supermarket, 96% of all lettuce comes from here in California. So if it, you're in New York, that bag of lettuce had to travel 3,000 miles to get to you. That is not an efficient system. We really have to rethink all that distribution and production. I saw an infographic the other day on Twitter, and it was somebody, um, it was showing the, the life of a peach and how it was grown in Georgia, sent to the Netherlands for packaging sent right. over here for, you know, um, major packing or, um, you know, for another part of the process and then all the way back to the United States. And it's just so inefficient. It's well, really not only, not only is inefficient, but also every touch point that you've got is another touch point for a food safety nightmare. Um, and the example that I always use, and I love your peach example, is ground beef. So up until the previous administration pulled back the rules, and hopefully it's going to change back, um, you would go into a supermarket and you'd see on a package of ground beef um, made in the USA, Mexico, and Canada. And we would get a lot of questions from consumers. What does that mean? Well, what it means is the cow is birthed here in the U.S. It is then sent to Mexico to grow and, and feed, and then it goes to Canada to be slaughtered and packaged. Of course, we're going to have product recalls. Of course, we're going to have E. coli problems. I mean, that's just absurd. And it, our food system is the cheapest food system in the world. Mm 
because of efficiencies like you you and I are describing. But that doesn't mean it's right. Um, we really need to look at our food in a much more holistic way and figure out what's the right way to produce this food, the right way to get it to the consumer. Um, and, you know, if the, if the companies don't make as much money or if we've got to pay a little bit more for it, uh, so be it. But we right. want to have a safe food supply. Absolutely. It makes me always want to go out to the farmer's markets, <laughs> but they're always during the week. It's so hard to get to. It's never on the weekends. <laughs> well, not here in Santa Monica. Here in Santa Monica, around the corner from where where we live, there's a farmer's market every Sunday. Oh, so, that's amazing. Yeah, so I'm in New Jersey, but I'm in Southern Jersey. So there's tons of farms, tons of food yeah, around yeah. here, but it's just, they, they're always like small farmer's markets during the week. And I'm like, I have to work. <laughs> yeah. So I, I grew up in New Jersey, in Northern New Jersey. Yeah. Belleville, New Jersey. My grandfather actually had a dairy farm there. Um, and, and I went to Drexel in Philadelphia. Uh, so got to know Southern Jersey really well and visited a lot of Campbell Soup's tomato farms in, uh, in Southern New Jersey. And um, Clement Pappas um, is in South Jersey, a major juice producer and a great juice producer uh, right there. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm from Cranberry Bogville. Like there's Cranberry Bogs yeah. everywhere around yeah. here. I'm right by Chatsworth. So we have that big Cranberry Festival every year. It's the best. Yeah. <laughs> and people don't realize it. <laughs> well, when what we need, and, and you're bringing up a really important point. What we really need people to do is get closer to food and closer to farmers, closer to nature, really understanding that everything doesn't have to come uh, either frozen or packaged. Um, I, just, I just did a review of a, um, of a product. I don't, I don't have the package handy, otherwise I'd show it to you. Um, but Cheetos has now come up with a macaroni and cheese product. Now, obviously, during the pandemic, macaroni and cheese sales went through the roof. We were looking for ease. We were looking for comfort foods and so on. I took a look at the ingredients in this product, from the artificial colors to everything that's, that's in there. Obviously, we gave it a miss um, and a really low product rating. But in today's environment, in 2021, also having gone through the pandemic, where we know consumers are more concerned about health and wellness and immunity than ever before, for a major company, you know, uh, PepsiCo, to, to come out with a product like this at this time, you know, I've just got to shake my head and say, you really don't understand the consumer. I think it's it, it's a confusing time because we are talking about this so much, but then at the same time, frozen goods went through the roof during the pandemic as well, I guess, because people were preparing. So it's like this focus on health, but then also the frozen food sector is growing at the same time. Well, to be honest with you, probably over the past five years, the frozen food industry had a wake-up call. Their sales were plummeting. And the reason were those ingredient statements just like I talked about. Right. You'd pick up a frozen pizza and there'd be a hundred ingredients in it. And you would look at it and say, whoa, I'm not going to go near that. So they've learned really fast and really well. We've also had a lot of new 
innovations in frozen food than ever before. When you look at the packaging for vegetables that they steam in the bag, um, nothing, nothing artificial in it. It's just the packaging technology. You look at a lot of the new frozen foods, no additives, no preservatives. You look at brands like Amy's, you look at Saffron Road, you look at Rayo's. I mean, they have great frozen foods. Um, so it's not the entire category. You still have some holdouts of, of products that have, you know, a very long list of ingredients and artificial additives and preservatives and so on. Um, and the reason that we bought during the pandemic a lot of frozen foods, they were there because they were produced six months before, a year before. So they were able to get to market and be on the shelves. Uh, but again, the industry is getting a lot better. So the next time you go to that frozen food case, check out some of the brands you've never heard of before and look at the ingredients. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. That's actually, uh, I can't believe that it took you to point this out, but my whole freezer is full of frozen vegetables from those brands that you're talking about. You know, I have, I have even like cauliflower gnocchi, like that kind of stuff yep. that I can just easily pop in the microwave and it steams itself, you know, within the thing. And you're right. And the ingredients list is so low and it's very fresh. Well, you know, before it was frozen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, keep in mind that, that, um, fresh, uh, especially produce as you're describing, um, and, and fish, and there's a lot of other categories that they are frozen at their peak of freshness. Freezing right. does not denigrate either nutrition, taste, or texture. So when you're on a boat and you're on a boat for three months catching salmon, for example, in Alaska, they freeze it right on the boat and they package it right on the boat. You can't get something better. When you go to the seafood department, uh, the fresh seafood department, what you'll see on those little signs, previously frozen. So what's happened that in that case, is they've gotten product that was frozen on the boat, then gone to a distributor, which has slacked it out or defrosted it. Then it goes back to the store and it's put on ice, which essentially freezes it again. And you have denigration of, of texture and, and flavor. Oh, yeah. So I... And, I frankly only buy frozen seafood um, and it's about 40% less expensive than fresh and it's only been frozen once and it hasn't had all those transportation issues. Uh, so the, the frozen food case has really gotten a lot better uh, than it was five years ago and I think mm -hmm. it's going to continue. Well, I can talk about this stuff all day with you, I feel like, um, but I am running out of time. So I just want to ask one more question. Um, where do you see the future of the grocery industry as a whole going in the next couple of years? Over the next couple of years, we're going to continue to see our food prices increase. Um, again, for those three reasons that I talked about, climate change, transportation, um, we've got labor issues, um, prices are going to go up. Um, if, you, if you look at the price of coffee, for example, Brazil is, is you know, a huge coffee producer because of their frost. Um, the prices of coffee are going to go up in general about 30, 35 percent, which is huge. So what we're going to see is higher prices. 
what we're going to see is retailers, grocery retailers, getting a lot smarter using artificial intelligence much more than ever before, having better websites. We're not going to have delivery. We're going to have click and collect where we go online, we shop, and we pick it up at the store uh, because the delivery system frankly, just isn't working for retailers, especially. They lose about $10 on every order uh, that we make. So we we really have to reimagine, as I described before, what the grocery store looks like. It's very challenging times. Uh, Grocers are very concerned about the safety of their customers, the health of their customers, the safety of their employees as well. So the plastic shields are not going to come down for a while. They're still going to clean their check stand belts, um, you know, every half hour, every hour. Um, the good news is that the pandemic has really upped the game as it relates to technology and sanitation in our grocery stores. And I think that'll continue to evolve. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to see where the future goes. I hope we can really do some cool things with sustainability and and go more local. (laughs) Absolutely. Go local. It is the best thing that you can do for the industry, for yourself, for health and wellness. Again, if you buy local produce, guess what that means? It was picked later, which means it has more nutrients, more flavor. And when it's in season, it's cheaper. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and tune in every Tuesday for our episodes of Link by Food Logistics and Supply and Demand Chain Executive. If you like what you hear, please give us a thumbs up or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.